Hello, everybody, and welcome to Truth Be Told. I am Micah Gunn, and I'm joined by a very special guest today, Mr. Walt Heyer. Mr. Heyer, would you introduce yourself to all of our listeners today? Yeah, hi, I'm Walt Heyer, the founder of uh, website sexchangeregret.com, and I've been working with detransitioners for the last 12 or so years, and I detransitioned 30 years ago. Your website is so well put together, by the way. It's, I mean, I've gone through it, um, studied into all the work you do. You do incredible work. So thank you for all that you do for people that are struggling uh, with transgenderism. And I'm just really impressed by everything you do and as, as well as the story that you have. Would you mind going through kind of your story and, and how you got to this point in life? Sure. Yeah, it started actually in 1944. So that seems kind of incredible that it goes back that long. So uh, you know, I sit here, I'm 80 years old, and so I've been dealing with this on some level for 76 years. So uh, I don't come from a position of uh, just an onlooker. I've been dealing with it. Um, when my grandmother cross-dressed me at the age of four because I was curious about girls' clothing, she was a seamstress, and she told me how cute I looked and how wonderful I looked as a little girl. Well, you know, uh, it takes a long time to become mature enough uh, to understand when uh, any adult puts a young boy in a dress and tells him how cute he looks that you're causing psychological, emotional, and sometimes sexual damage because they, you know, you start to wonder, you know, what's wrong with me? And I think that's kind of the, the real issue at stake for young people when people affirm them in a different gender, what you're really telling them. Uh, is that there's something wrong with you the way you are and that you need to change and become somebody else. That's pretty horrifying for a young boy to deal with. And so as a result of the, the purple dress grandma made me, uh, my dad, when he found out about it, became very angry and and was trying to sort of shape me into the man that he, he was a part-time police officer, a judo expert, a big guy, um, really likable guy. And um, but he took to disciplining me because he was, you know, this is in the mid 1940s and mm -hmm. disciplining me harshly to try to shape me like you would, a, a you know, a, a blacksmith with iron, you know, through the fire and shape him into what you expect it to be. So uh, and then his brother, uh, who is an adopted brother, when he found out that I'd been wearing a dress, he decided that I was fair game to be sexually molested. So I had the purple dress, the uh, harsh discipline and sexual molestations before I was nine years old. So all these things uh, together um, cause you to not really think that life is going to go real well for you and that there must be something wrong with you because they're hitting you with hardwood floor planks. They're sexually molesting you and put you in a dress. So if you, if you realize what's going on in a young person's mind, it's very confusing. So uh, and it wasn't until the mid-1950s, um, you know, about 10 years later, that I realized there was a term for this. And it was uh, the newspapers had Christine Jorgensen, the first Marine or soldier to become a female. And uh, they changed Christine Jorgensen's gender. That was a big deal. And then I saw that in the headlines. Well, that, maybe that's me. Uh, I was never homosexual. I never had that as an issue um, I, and, and that, quite honestly, um, is a good point to mention that 90% of the people that I work with and have worked with are heterosexual men that never engaged in homosexuality. So identifying as a transgender is not 
necessarily a homosexual issue. I can tell you that the people we hear about, the drag queens, however, are all homosexual. That's kind of the, the homosexual quarters of the transgender movement uh, are the drag queens. Mm-hmm. But so, you know, as I went through life, I, I was in high school, played football, ran track. I was a little guy. I'm still a little guy as far as that goes. But, uh, you know, I was I, I was trying to deal with what had happened. And I had no no ability to understand what you do with being put in a dress. I couldn't talk about it. Um, I, I couldn't understand why I got all this discipline. I couldn't understand why I was being uh, sexually abused by my uncle. I mean, I didn't have all this information, really. It didn't really become clear to me until really in the early, when I was like 42, went and had surgery and became Laura Jensen female. And it was during that process of sort of, um, I I was studying to be a psychologist um, at UC Santa Cruz and started reading books on psychology. And then all these things started opening up to me. I'm going, oh, you know, people who are sexually abused or physically abused and emotionally abused, emotionally abused when you put a boy in a dress, that's emotional abuse. So I had the three components going in and I go, well, no wonder I had difficulty. No one had the wisdom or the understanding or the knowledge uh, that, you know, these things were harmful to young people. Today, we know that. The, the problem with today is that they ignore it and, and they won't acknowledge it and they won't treat it. You know, it's different. You know, we, every one of the people that I've worked with, which are hundreds, literally hundreds, probably over a thousand, Uh, have been able to tell me what happened to them as a young person that caused them to not like who they are. And, and that was the moment they decided that they would be better off if they changed genders. (laughs) And so in, in uncovering that, what happened issue is they can go back then and sort of deal with that issue. And then it helps them detransition. And that's what helped me 35 years ago. You realize, no, I didn't need to, you know, cut off body parts. I didn't need to identify. I just needed to deal with the fact that I had a lot of trauma and I had a lot of abuse in my life and I need to deal with that so that I can actually pull myself back together, put the pieces back together in my life and begin to live that out. So for over 30 years, since 19 January, 1990, um, I've been um, able to stand up and and chew gum and talk and walk at the same time uh, (laughs) instead of dealing with this crazy nonsense about uh, becoming someone else which by the way no one has ever changed from a man to a woman or a woman to a man except um you know socially uh, but you don't do it biologically you don't do it medically and you don't do it scientifically or biologically it's all just um sort of this cosmetic um sort of like Mardi Gras, uh, Halloween costume that you put on. And some of it's very effective in terms of how it looks. It looks very convincing. But the fact of the matter is, biologically, um, you're still a man. Would you be able to talk more? um, You mentioned your grandmother and your father as well being caregivers to you. They have a huge responsibility in how how a Mm -hmm. child grows up. What's advice you could give a caregiver? Wait. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you talk about the people who are struggling. And, and, and I immediately, when you said that, thought about it's actually oftentimes um, something outside of the home or the caregiver themselves is actually causing them to struggle. So it's it's not something they were born with. So right. 
it's it, you start to find out what caused this. And one of the things that I do when I work with people, I just worked with a 13 year old girl who started identifying as a boy at 10 years old and through the mother and through some emails, I just ask her the simple question. And I think parents can do this too. Why do you want to destroy who you are? That's such an important question because, you know, there's something about the idea of becoming someone else. You have to destroy who you are. So I look at transgenderism, not as trying to become someone else, but actually I look at, at the transgender ideology as a self-destructive behavior because you're actually destroying who you really are in an attempt to become someone who you can never really be. And so, you know, biologically you're correct the way you were um, came out of the womb. Uh, medically you're correct the way you came out of the room, womb, but maybe something happened to you psychologically or emotionally or sexually that caused you to be confused about who you are. So that doesn't change your biology. It just changed the way you think about yourself. So I think parents need to be fully aware of what kind of dialogue do they have, uh, caregivers too, uh, do, are they having with their children? Are they talking about uh, you can change genders and showing them things on television because there's so much stuff on television about, you know, kids changing genders or adults. And, you know, we're we're getting annihilated by all of this absolute brainwashing stuff about people changing genders. And And I think we're better off if we go back and realize that it's harmful to do this. And it's harmful to identify children in a different gender. It's harmful to say, oh, you must be transgender. So you, Johnny, you can wear a dress and go to school as Judy. That's harmful. Right. These are harmful things. And, you know, they, it may be real politically correct. It may seem like you're, um, you're bright or brighter than other people as a parent because you have a transgender child. No, you're causing your child some kind of emotional, psychological, sexual, or even social abuse. And the consequences, unfortunately, you look at me in my own life, the, the, I didn't realize all of this damage until I was 50 years old. So 46 years that I suffered and was cut on, given hormones, uh, all these things happened to me totally unnecessarily. Did I have gender dysphoria? You know, they diagnosed me with gender dysphoria, but, you know, they diagnose anybody with gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. I, I have made the comment, if you put a rock in front of one of these gender clinics and and tell them this rock tells me it has gender dysphoria, they will say, oh, yeah, it definitely does, because they will diagnose anything and everyone with gender dysphoria. I have done some deep research on this, and you cannot get a non-gender dysphoria diagnosis in a gender clinic everybody is diagnosed with gender dysphoria i mean is that that should tell us something really strange is not right on the, in the clinics yeah absolutely and with that too it's i think it begs the question what then does someone struggling with this do because if they go to the you know if the, if someone just types into google I am struggling with transgenderism or gender dysphoria. I'm struggling yeah. with this. They're probably going to be linked to a lot of these gender clinics. So what then would you recommend? How would you go about instructing someone? Here's where you go. Here's how you find help. 
Yeah, well, a doctor um, wrote me one time and he said, whatever you do, if you get anywhere near a gender clinic and you're struggling, run the other way as fast as you can for as long as you can and get as far away as you can because you're not going to get the help you need. And that came from a doctor. Wow. So what I, I think what's instructive here is to find uh, a therapist who is willing to look at things like body dysmorphia or or depression, um, dissociative disorders, bipolar disorder, uh, sexual abuse. Uh, and I, this, my thesis on this, and this is what I've explained, if, the, if a child has ever been sexually abused, ever been emotionally abused or put through trauma, they are not candidates for hormone therapy and a gender change. If something has happened to this child, or even an adult situation where they manifest itself later in life, you know, there's something that happened and that's what needs to be talked about. And that's the kind of work that I do. I, I actually spend time with these people and ask, tell me what happened to you. I was working with a guy as an example, who's in his forties, who changed genders. He's got regret. We're going back and forth, just like you and I are today. And I said, why did you do this? Why, what caused you to do this? I'm, I just so interested. And he said, I don't know. I said, well, let's go back and walk through your childhood and the things that happened. And he went through this and he was 11 years old at a summer camp with a swimming team. And the swimming coach took him in the shower room and sexually molested him when no one else was around. And I said, well, how soon after that did you decide that you were suffering from some kind of displeasure with who you were? And he stopped and paused. He says, oh, my gosh, right after that. So this, in his case, it was being sexually abused at 11. So, but no one ever talked about that. And that's why it's, it, in my view, it's so important to put this message out. If you've been sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused, hurt, you're confused, you don't have gender dysphoria. You've got something, some trauma, something that happened. You know, maybe I had one young person who had been passed around to seven foster homes. And he just felt like nobody wanted me. I was just, he felt like he was just on the scrap heap of life. The only way that he felt he could sort of recognize or get people to recognize him or see him differently was to change genders. Not that he was, he didn't really have genders for, he just wanted to be noticed. And so you have, these are important things to deal with. And even this young girl that I worked with when she, the 13 year old, when we went through this and she, I said, what caused you to do this? And she, she stopped for a minute. She said, I had a bad dad, 13 years old. I had a bad dad. What does that mean? And she says, dad hurt me a lot. And, and I didn't like being hurt by my dad. I didn't want that to happen. So in her mind, she actually said, I thought if I became identified as a man, dad would not want to hurt me anymore. So it wasn't about being a transgender. It wasn't about gender dysphoria. And I've heard this, I would say, honestly, 40 to 50% of the time, children and even sometimes in adults will identify, a girl will identify as a boy to protect themselves against being sexually abused. They feel, they feel like they're unattractive to the, to the uh, person who's harming them. 
They want to become unattractive to them so that they don't touch them. So it becomes a defense mechanism against being abused. And for a young boy, you know, he's, he thinks if I get rid of my genitalia, then the people who are molesting me and touching me there, they won't want to do that anymore because I don't have genitalia. So it's really not about being transgender. It's about protecting themselves because no one else is protecting them. They're trying to find a way to protect themselves from being sexually abused. And, 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 and when you think about that, it makes a lot of sense. In, in the mind of a young person who's being abused and no one's protecting them, an adult is doing it. They, they just want to stop. And the, the person wouldn't stop unless I change so radically that I become unattractive to them. And in many cases, this is what's happening with young boys and girls who identify as a different gender by just being unattractive. And it's so sad to realize that these people that are struggling with these things that have happened to them, these are hard topics to bring up, even to people close to you, people that you love. It's, I know there's a lot of uh, embarrassment and shame felt by these people who have you know, been sexually molested or, or even raped, things like that. And it's so hard for them to bring up these things. But if they don't, then the alternative can be so much more harmful to themselves by, you know, going as far as surgery or uh, just living a life that they're so miserable in. And I, I just yeah. find that so, so sad. And I think, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll do a cheap little plug on my book, but it's really a good book, uh, Trans Life Survivors, um, because it talks about they I, I took emails and change their name and their location and all that stuff. Sure. But I, I, I let them tell their story. Uh, and, and so you can see what happened to these individuals in the book, Trans Life Survivors. They're all two stories. And, you know, even in the case of a girl who became a boy um, and she became the head of a gender clinic in, a, in an area. And, and but no one ever dealt with what happened to her. No one ever addressed what happened to her as a young child. Even as she was affirmed living the life of a lesbian woman in a gender clinic environment, a hero in the neighborhood, she committed suicide. And her friend said she was, she, she was always depressed. Nobody ever dealt with her depression. And everybody's trying to fix depression with hormones and a gender change. Sorry, it doesn't work. And so I, I think it's so important to do that. If, if people also want to see the history and how it got this whole thing got started. Uh, the book Paper Genders is a book that I wrote. It really gives this story. And it was started by three men, um, John Money, Benjamin, and, and a couple of others that, that were pedophile activists. They were pedophiles. So the, the origin of transgender identities comes out of pedophilia, not out of trying to correct some, something that was wrong with a child in the womb, they were fine in the womb. And when they came out, it was what happened to them in society or by a parent or by somebody else that caused them to have this difficulty. It's, it is horrible. It's such a good thing that you do, though, connecting with a lot of these people on such a personal level, you know, especially as someone who's been through this yourself, realizing the difficulties, realizing the struggles, but being so open and honest with not just people struggling with transgenderism or dysphoria issues, but also people like me who, who aren't as knowledgeable about the subject itself. I think it's incredibly helpful. What then would you say to people who are against the idea that this is, so I guess 
what I'm trying to say is there are people who, if you were to approach them and they have struggled with this in the past, they will push back at you saying, no, this is how I am, or this is not a uh, mental struggle. This is not from trauma. They, they would push at you. Besides yeah. your testimony mm-hmm. of all the people you've worked with saying that they, have, they can point to parts of their life that has caused this to happen, mm-hmm. what's your message to them? Yeah, well, you know, it's usually uh, I'm glad that that it's working for you. Um, and if it if it eventually doesn't work for you, just know that I'm here for you. What I do know is that the the regret usually sets in between eight and 20 years, but it can be as early as three weeks to 30 years. So wow. the, the scope of this is pretty broad. I mean, I had an interesting uh, situation where a guy wrote me an email. Oh, four or five years ago. And he wrote, he's take down your website. You're an idiot. You don't. And he went on and on and he said, I hate you. And I said, okay. I said, I understand you have a different point of view. It's all right to have, I'm good with that. Mm -hmm. So he wrote me probably every, you know, three months or so for two or three years. And I was always kind to him in my response. And I said, look, I, I totally understand you're doing fine and everything's good. Uh, I'm, I'm happy for you. He wrote one uh, near Thanksgiving about three years ago, I guess it was. He wrote me and said, hey, I'm the guy who's been writing you. Can you help me detransition? Wow. So, you know, uh, I always look at it like it's just not for you. It just hasn't happened yet. And and, and so I, and I do know there's there's a cases where people will live out this life uh, identifying uh, in a different gender. And many of those cases are. Uh, what's known as probably a term you haven't heard much before is called autogynephilia. Uh, autogynephilia is where um, typically men, but some women too, will dress up in women's clothing and they become the object of their own sexual affection. In other words, that that is their mode of arousal. That is their mode of um, sexual intercourse, if, if I can say that. Uh, so that uh, they are fully satisfied with life alone cross-dressing they they may have friends but they are sexually gratified by wearing women's clothes they look in the mirror and when they look in the mirror they see the object of their affection and so this is a this is a mental disorder but people can live out their life with that mental disorder because it's um it's gratifying to them to do but that doesn't mean that we couldn't, if someone wanted to treat that and and deal with it. But there's there's other things like uh, transvestic fetish disorder, where people become aroused by a certain piece of clothing, and and rather than say that I have a transvestic fetish disorder, they will say I'm a transgender because going running around and saying I'm have a transvestic fetish disorder is not as appealing to your friends as it is to say I'm a transgender, right? So and and then we have people who are simply cross dressers that will identify as transgender. They're really not, or they're transvestite uh, will identify as a transgender. So there's a lot of categories within this umbrella that covers so many things. But what I think is so important is these are all really good people. That something bad happened to them, something so out of the norm that they didn't know how to deal with it properly. No one helped them focus on what it was that happened to them. But what we have today is now everybody is just feeding them this affirmation, feeding them hormones. And hormones are like heroin. I mean, 
really. It's they're powerful steroids. They do calm you down. They will make you feel and behave differently. So you think you're getting better. The problem is that there's a there's a period of time where they will wear off. And and it all of a sudden you wake up and you go, you know, this is really not working anymore. I'm really not happy with this nonsense and and I want my life back. I'm working with somebody right now who just they started in the late 90s. They transitioned at I think two, 2009 and now they're uh detransitioning. I'm going to speak with them uh tomorrow. And so I get these cases all the time and and many of them uh, are usually 5, 10, 15 years, but they're all over the place and they're men and women uh and so I I think it's important for us to realize that we're doing a great deal of harm by stuffing hormones into men and women um and then telling them they're going to become someone else when they really can't and and I I need for people out there to to hear this if there's a female out there who's considering taking hormones whatever you do don't do it i i can tell you the the if you end up at that point of regret which i have a lot of gals do that um the devastation that testosterone does to women is irreversible you know they will look like men they'll their voices will sound like men and that becomes so devastating to them even more so, I mean, the guys who become girls detransition better. It takes about two years for them to sort of walk their way back. Mm. The poor females who become males when they detransition, sorry, they have a beard. And, and even, even getting rid of the beard ends up scarring their skin sometimes. So it, it's, this is just not good stuff. I, I want the people to have good, happy, healthy lives, but taking hormones and cutting off body parts is not the way to do it. I think this issue can become kind of taboo in churches, which can be harmful to people struggling because they need to come forward. They need to talk to somebody. And church right. should be a, a place where that could be, um, that should be able to be brought up and they could find help. Not all the help right. they need, but at least a, a foothold. So right. what advice would you give to Christians in churches who are um, maybe ashamed of struggling with this, not wanting to tell people, and also churches who um, don't want to affirm this behavior, don't want to um, say that it's okay, but want to be open to accepting uh, people that are struggling with this and also helping them to detransition if they've transitioned or um, stop them from transitioning. What would your advice be to churches or Christians struggling? Yeah, well, anybody struggling with um, these identity issues need to be in church. Uh, and and they need to have a pastoral staff uh, that is willing to sit down with them and do just like we were talking about today. I'm going to speak at a church in a week and a half about these very issues. And so, I, you know, I think if we can get leadership in a church and many of the churches will have somebody who attends there that's a PhD psychologist, mm -hmm. uh, or they have somebody on staff that's real good at counseling. And I think if we can just uh, get them to sit down, and I've done said this time and time again, sit down with a cup of coffee and, and don't make it clinical. Say, just tell me what happened to you. See, that's my whole thesis here. Mm -hmm. What happened to you that caused you to not like who you are? Because we know the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. And we know that he does not want you to engage in self-destructive behavior. And we also know that the way to salvation is to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. 
And you can't do that by destroying your body and identifying by somebody who God didn't make. And so, you know, there's a lot of glory through Christ in finding who you are and finding out where that pain is. And so I think if we just can get to that point where we understand honoring and glorifying Jesus Christ is actually finding our way back, finding out what caused the hurt and what caused the pain. And a good pastoral staff can do that. I was the director of care ministries in a large church uh, with about 70 on staff. And, and with the counseling ministries, I was able to do these things. And, and, but I wanted to go bigger. I left the church so that I could work worldwide and work with people all over the world instead of just a few a day. I can work now with thousands a day. So um, I think it's important for the church to realize they weren't born that way. God didn't make them that way. We need to love on them, but we also need to help guide them to understand something happened to them and then show them that honoring and glorifying Jesus Christ is admitting that cutting off body parts and taking hormones does not honor and glorifying Jesus Christ, but admitting you're wrong and confessing it was a sin to do and having the Lord redeem and restore your life. That's the glory. And that's where you'll come in line with the Holy Spirit and live the life that God intended you to live. Thank you all so much for joining us today on Truth Be Told. If you are struggling with this or you know somebody's struggling with this, I really hope that you take these words into consideration today and know that you have a church that loves you, you have a God that loves you, and that there's a way back. If you're struggling with this, there's a way back. Even if you've gone all the way and transitioned, there is a way back. So please find somebody to talk to, and I hope you find these words encouraging. Until next time, keep on reading your Bibles and keep on thinking critically about them. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.